today's message is going to just bless you because you've responded to the, to the Lord's leadership to be here today. And you said, yes, let's go. When he put that idea of coming in your mind. Now, sometimes, maybe, I don't know, where are all the teenagers? Uh, that voice might sound like your mom. It's really God's voice, okay? <laughs> it is really God's voice encouraging you to respond well in the beginning of this year with him, towards him. So, <clears throat> 2020, 2020, man, what a shaking year, right? Things got shook to the core, and uh, I believe that some of what we've learned in 2020 is going to help us respond better, quicker, and more accurately in 2021. But only if we combine that with a couple of things that are really important, as we will see today. We're about to get into a prayer and fasting period. It's going to be, I think, three weeks of prayer and fasting. So I want to get, invite you guys to get yourself ready. Decide beforehand what you're going to fast, whether it's going to be a meal a day um, or it's going to be social media or you know, something not related to food. That's also a practical way people fast. Um, but I would encourage you to really uh, fast food. Not fast food. Fast from food. Uh, don't do fast food. Fast from food because it does make your reliance solely, therefore, on God and His Spirit to sustain you. And that is a key place for us to be in as we prepare for 2021. Because I think and I believe this year for us is really a year of foundation laying. Laying foundations of how to walk closely and accurately with the Lord. I think this year we're going to be called on to respond quickly and flexibly uh, to things that God brings across our path or things that, you know, just life throws at us. Um, and it's really important that we learn how to respond and respond well because that's going to help equip us for the season that God is coming with. And I believe a great season of great work is coming. I think God is just, oh, the Bible says He is eager to perform His word concerning each and every one of you. God has so many good things in store for you but there is a little caveat to that, and that is that it requires your response. I mean, God cannot even save you without you saying yes at some point to Him. Um, and, and, and even though His Spirit just you know, does the work of, of, of readying our hearts, each and every person has to come to that point where they respond to the message of salvation. You have to somewhere decide, hey, I'm going to believe this. And I'm going to bank on this for my eternal salvation. Somewhere you have to make a decision that says, this is what I believe. This is whom I'm trusting in. And then from there on, keep your faith secure in that decision that you made. The Bible says that many people heard the same message about the gospel, but some mixed it with faith. Others didn't. Well, it only worked for the ones who mixed it with faith. It doesn't work for you if you do not mix it with faith because this whole faith, this whole relationship with God that we have is found upon faith for that is the basis of our salvation. We are saved by faith through His grace. And so I encourage you um, to at least <laughs> early in this year, if you haven't responded to the gospel, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, I believe in you and I'm going to bank on you and trust in you for my salvation. I'm going to trust in your word and your leadership to guide me that you would do that, that you would do that early on so that this year can produce much of God's results in your life. And uh, so obviously I'm going to talk about respond, responding to God today. My message is about responding to God. 
And God really wants us to respond to Him because we have options, people. There are so many options to things we can respond to. And your response, everybody say this, my response will determine my destiny. How you respond to God's Word determines the outcome of your life. And that counts for every aspect of your life. How you respond to His Word concerning your parenting determines the outcome of your parenting. How you respond to His Word concerning your marriage determines the outcome of your marriage. Your response is required. Let me ask you this question. How many of you are really good at putting things off? Come on now. I know there's more more of you like me out there putting things off. There might be certain things that you're really good at, you know, but then everybody has those couple of things that just just hate doing it. Well, it's part of life. I have to do it. But I mean, putting things off sometimes, you know, it's it's, it's like, you know, procrastination is the word for it. It's really a part of life. Everybody has some things that they're putting off. And you might not think right now you have some things that you're putting off, but as we go on, I'm sure the Holy Spirit is going to go like, James. Remember that thing that I've been asking you to do for so long? What about that old boy? All right, Lord. Okay, let's see how you respond after this message. Good, 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 good. All right, so um, uh, there's a little joke real quick. It says uh, here, um, for the woman, uh, advice, marital advice for free. Okay, husbands, uh, uh, it's for free. I I, I do take tips, of course, right? You know, it's 10% in the offering box. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. if you ask your husband to do something, there's no point in reminding him every six months about it. He'll get to it, okay? I think men are renowned for procrastination, aren't we? Uh, sometimes uh, people always blame men or to be the great procrastinators. But I think women have their fair share of procrastination. Um, you know, I had my wife chime in here and, and, and uh, you know, very, very firmly admit that you know laundry is definitely an aspect of procrastination um and then when you get the laundry done folding the laundry after <laughs> who likes folding laundry i mean i hate folding laundry and i don't even have to do it most of the time i do help every now and then um more now than then or then than now which one is the least i don't know my wife can testify <laughs> but there are always something that we don't like doing don't like getting into and uh, the more we put it off you know the worse it becomes but jokes aside um aren't we all res- procrastinating in things that god wants us to do um, are we all don't we all wish that we've been further down the line with our relationship with God and our growth in Him? And yet, we find ourselves where we are at because of our decisions, because of our responses. Um, and sometimes bad things happen uh, and uh, we think that those are reasons why I don't have to respond. But really what they are, are they just excuses that we use to, uh, you know, affirm what we actually already wanted to do and that was putting it off um so i don't know why it's this quiet in the room is it is it something that's just really relevant or y'all just still waking up from the holidays Uh, i don't know but (laughs) procrastination is something i certainly struggle with and have you ever said some of the following reasons for not doing something that god wanted you to do now i'm not ready yet i'm not mature enough yet i don't have enough knowledge or skills yet to do what, I, what God has asked me. 
I'm not holy enough yet. What about this one? I'm not old enough yet. Where are the teenagers? I'm not old enough to do what God is, you know, this, this whole Christian thing. You know what? There are people in this room that might have this excuse today. I'm not young enough anymore. <laughs> if you're not careful, I'm not old enough will soon become I'm not young enough and then you've missed it all. Do not miss out on your younger years in responding to Jesus. It's the best thing you can do, best investment you can make with your time and your season. I'm going to talk about a couple of responses in the Bible today. In fact, I'm going to talk about three prophets that confronted three leaders and it had three different responses. And each of them, those responses led to you guessed at three different outcomes. All right, so we're going to work on those three things today. Um, but before, about, before I do that, let me read James 1 verse 22 because it captures the heart of God toward, in terms of our relationship to His Word. It says this, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves, but be doers. Do what it says. Do what it says. We actually play a very dangerous game by being here every Sunday. Because every Sunday you come here, you learn more things. You learn more perspective. And the more you learn, if it doesn't translate into you actually doing something with it, the higher level of deception of a game that you're playing with yourself. Do not think that knowing about God helps for anything because all the devils and the demons also believe in God. But the Bible says they shudder for fear because they know they can't. They can't get on the right side of God. Our response to the word needs to be action, not acknowledgement. Now, I know that kind of precedes action, but don't leave it there. God wants you to respond to his word this year. He wants you to get into a habit of listening and responding. Um, so as I was preparing, I just felt, I felt God whisper something in my ears. It's kind of, it's not clear yet, but it's like, I just want to put it out there because I really believe that God wants it to be well with us. But so often when we don't listen to his warnings in our lives, we run into things that we could have avoided. And with so many changes happening in the world right now, I mean, we're really heading into a decade of change. Uh, those who believe and think and hope that things are going to just return to normal and stay normal, and I'm not even talking about the virus situation. I'm just talking about life in general, the advance of the kingdom of darkness. I'm talking about certain things. And don't worry, as the kingdom of darkness advances, the kingdom of light advances as well. The darker it becomes, the brighter the light shines. But they both are happening, and we can't deny that. And there's going to be changes to life. Things are going to start operating differently from what we desire and what we prefer. And here's the thing, though. That's going to impact your livelihood. It's going to impact your life. It's going to impact your pocket. Are you ready to respond with your faith for it? Things are going to shift. It's not going to stay the same. You need to be ready with your faith to respond to it. And I'm saying, all I, all I kind of heard is that make sure you are where you are because of God's appointment, not just because of comfort. Because if you're not there because for God's appointment, when it gets ripped out under you, you'll face a massive, massive traumatic struggle and, and, and challenge. But if you're there with God's appointment, He'll sustain you no matter how bad and how hard it becomes. 
It is asking of us to really listen intently to the Holy Spirit and walk closely with Him, putting our ears on His chest so we can first hear His heartbeat for us, but second, we're close to His Word. We can respond when He guides and when He redirects us. If God wants to move you, will He be able to? That's a question you have to ask yourself. If God asks you to do something that, that requires change, are you going to say yes or are you going to respond differently? Let's head into our first prophet, Samuel. It's in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15. And I'm going to explain a lot of this and not read it all because it's going to be faster. Um, but Saul has been anointed and appointed as the king of Israel at this time. And um, Saul has this one little issue that keeps popping up in every part of just throughout scripture the scriptures about him and that is that he actually fears man more than he fears god and um that causes him to consider his environment and the people around him when he makes decisions about how to respond to god and so the account i'm reading from is actually the last of multiple instances where you see paul oh sorry saul um Nothing to do with Paul right now. Okay, King Saul, Old Testament. Well, you see Saul responding out of, out of rebellion to God. And so God had given Saul this, King Saul, this command. You need to go and eradicate a certain people group. Now, sometimes people look at this and they read in the Bible today and they think to themselves, whoa, what kind of a God is that? What you need to understand is, The history, if you'll read it carefully and study, is that God's judgments are always redemptive. His judgments are always to save. It's never to punish. Okay, So this group of people have become utterly wicked. They have rebelled against everything and anything that God deems to be right and good. And he has sent warning after warning to them and they have not relented. And he just realized it's time to remove them because the influence that they're having is too strong and it will wreak havoc on earth. And so that's why this judgment happened. But his agent, God always has an agent. Today's day and age, the church is God's agent performing his task and performing his work. You and I are his agent on earth. But he always has an agent. And at this time, it was Israel. And the king of Israel, Saul, needed to respond to God's word and do with his, uh, with his group of people, his men, his soldiers, do what God had asked him to do. Except Saul always knew better than the Lord. Saul always wanted to bring some form of deviation from God's way of doing things. And he always tried to do it his way that he seemed right. Because he always, wanted to, he always, always seemed to succumb to the external pressure of you know, peer pressure, life pressure, things around him. Fear, fear of what people would think, how people would perceive him and his leadership, etc. Um, and so in this minute, Samuel arrives on the scene after God had spoken to Samuel the previous night and said to him, I'm done with Saul. He has disobeyed me, um, my commands, too many times, and, and I'm, I'm regretting having made him king. And Samuel is actually distraught at this. Samuel's like, Lord, no. Uh, you know, uh, contending with God for Saul's sake, but God has, said, God has just said, no, um, it can't go on like this. I need to remove him from the throne, and I've already prepared his, pretty, his, his successor. Um, and so he says to him, you need to go tell Saul 
this. And so Samuel shows up on the scene and Saul is celebrating with his men. They've come back from a great victory. They've beat this, uh, this nation. Um, but they did not complete the task the way God wanted it. They followed their own ideas. In fact, what they just purely did was they followed the culture of the day. God had told them, go and annihilate this place. Everything must be destroyed. Every piece of, of um, belonging, every person, every animal, everything. There must be nothing of them. And nothing of them must be used to enrich our nation. It will defile us. We must completely eradicate all of it. Except they did what they normally do. They did what they culturally do. They saved the king. They brought him back to ridicule him in front of the people back home. And they, uh, they brought back the best of the animals. And, and, they brought, and normally what they would do is they would you know, sacrifice some of those animals. But the rest would just be loot. It would just be their gain from the victory. Um, and, uh, and Samuel comes to him and says to him this. Why did you not, can we pull, pull that up? Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Saul's response, Saul's response here is, is what, what really matters. He says, but I did obey the Lord. As we talk, I want you to ask yourself how many times you've said that. But I did obey the Lord. You know, I've, it's just this little bitty thing that I haven't done, but all of this I've done. How many times have you tried to explain like Saul is doing himself out of a situation? He says, I went on the mission the Lord assigned to me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag their king. See, he did not listen to the word of the Lord. He thought he listened, but he didn't because here already he thinks he's doing the will of the Lord, but it, he is stating that he his own words are condemning him, essentially. The, sol- the soldiers, next thing he does is blame shifting. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord God at Gilgal. Saul tries to put a little religious sauce over his disobedience and say, don't worry, I'll go to church on Sunday. Don't worry, I'll, you know, I'll participate in that event. Don't worry, I'll give a little bit more this time around. He tries to make up with a religious act of sacrifice for the disobedient heart that he has had. But Samuel replied this, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed, in other words, just to listen, is better than the fat of rams, For rebellion, what's rebellion? It's just doing it your way. It's like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry because you're putting yourself first. See, in this instant, we see the prophet Samuel confronting Saul and Saul first trying to spin himself out of it. But I did obey the Lord. You know, I did everything he asked me except this little bitty thing. How come that is such such a big thing? He tried to, trying to explain or blame shift and, and hide his actual motivations out of taking responsibility for, for what he had done wrong. And eventually he does come, come out though. Samuel just keeps on pressing him and, and Saul, went, like, Saul eventually goes, okay, 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 I sinned. I sinned. I sinned before the Lord. But please, Samuel, don't leave 
right now because that will put disgrace on me if you don't come with me and worship the Lord with these offerings in front of the elders of the tribes. Saul's heart is more bent on saving his own face than it is on repenting and recognizing his sin before the Lord. This is a big deal, y'all. For him, it didn't matter so much that he didn't obey as much as that he was going to face disgrace right now for being rejected by the Lord. How many times have we tried to cover up ourselves before so that we don't get disgraced in front of people? Just kind of just make everything look okay in front of people, but not realizing that we're actually hiding something bigger. We're, we're not really worried about how we are hurting God. He shows no true repentance. And this is unfortunately consistent throughout his life. This wasn't just this instance. And this is why God said that he needed to take, uh, take the, not the position away from Saul. Because if you see the results, 1 Samuel 15, 23, he says, Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Yet we see Saul continue to be king. He did not remove him from the position, but he took his presence away from him. His anointing to rule according to his will. He took that away from him. And so from there on, Saul was walking in the dark. He did not know any longer what God's will was. He could not know whether he's doing God's will or not because God just stopped talking to him. I don't know about you, but that scares the heck out of me. I don't ever want to be in a place where I no longer hear the Lord speaking to me. He lost the most precious of treasures that we can ever receive from God and that is relationship that's his presence this started tormenting Saul to the point where he got he got cuckoo he went nuts the second instance is found in in a chapter later uh, sorry a book later second Samuel and the prophet this time is Nathan and the leader is uh, is King David this time so Nathan comes to David after David had done what we all knew that he did. Um, David had uh, slept with another man's wife. He got her pregnant. And to cover up the whole deal, he went and killed the man. And he took the lady as his, as his wife. Um, and so Nathan comes to him and he says, to, he says, he confronts him about, but he does it in, a, in an amazing way. He catches David out entirely. He says to David, you know, David, um, there's, a, there's a man in, in, you know, in your kingdom who has, who has many sheep. Um, but the other day, he went and there's a, another servant of yours who only has one sheep. But this wealthy man went and he took that, one serv- that, that servant's one sheep. He slaughtered that servant's sheep instead of his own. He slaughtered that sheep and he went and had a feast with it. What do you think we need to do to that man? Well, David said, well, it's just clear. This is, ama- this is ridiculous. That man needs to be killed. And then Nathan just says these words, strikes like a lightning bolt into David's heart. David, you are that man. You are that man. 
And then, he, and then I read from um, chapter 12, verse 7 to 15, I read, Why did you despise, Nathan, Nathan, Nathan is talking to David, the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. Now therefore the sword, uh, you killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. And then he keeps on pronouncing more judgments over the house, over David and over the house of David. Um, And then we see David's response. Check this out. David said to Nathan in verse 13, I've sinned against the Lord. What a different response. What a hugely different response. All was but I did obey the Lord. Blah, 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 yakety schmackety. Keep quiet now. David was just, Nathan, I sinned. I sinned. Nathan's reply is amazing. Look at this. He says, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because of your utter contempt for the Lord, the son that was born to you will. We see David's response after that. Everybody in the, in the, in the, in the um, palace and all that, they knew the Lord was judging David by, by killing this son, that was, this child that was born. And of course, God received that child back to himself. But he could not let that sin produce something that would continue to produce more in their, in their lifetime. And David is distraught. David goes and sits and fasts and prays. His response to his sin is exposing himself and falling on the grace of God. Pleading for the mercy of God in clear in plain sight, everybody knew that he was petitioning the Lord for mercy for what he had done. Everybody knew it. He didn't try to save face. He didn't try to, try to protect his, his honor. He literally threw himself on God and asked God for mercy. I want to read you a psalm that David wrote. The first part of it, and then I'll read you uh, some part of it. Go read, go read Psalm 51. He wrote that right after Nathan called him out. That's actually, that's actually um, amazing for me. But it shows his heart. And it shows something very cool I want to show you. Here we go. It says, Have mercy on me, O Lord. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. This is the words of a man who knew that he had sinned before God. And he was taking responsibility for it. His response to being confronted is entirely different. He was not justifying He was not self-righteous. He immediately admitted. And he came running to God 
to ask for forgiveness and to ask for help in dealing with it. But let me show you in the last um, paragraph of that psalm something amazing. Here David is saying and praying to God and acknowledging what Saul could never understand. He says this, Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. David breaks before the Lord and acknowledges his sin. And he asks God for forgiveness. He says, Lord, I know there's nothing I can do to make up for this. Lord, no matter how many times I come to church, no matter how many things I lead at church, Lord, no matter how you know, much money I give to church, no, much, no matter how many outreaches I go to, how many times I, I tell other people about Jesus, there is just nothing, Lord. No amount of sacrifice, no matter how, how much of my time I give you can make up for the fact that I sinned. And you're not wanting me to do more. All you're asking me is to realize that I hurt you. That I have grieved you. And for that and that only, I am just so, so sorry. David gets it. He gets it. Obedience What is the result we see in David's life? Well, first of all, Saul saved the moment. Nobody else knew what was going on. He went and worshipped in front of the elders and all thought all was good. But Saul lost the presence of God. David, on the other hand, is a wreck. Everybody knows he had done something seriously wrong. Everybody knows by the time the child gets, get, dies that this was God's judgment on David. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't wear clothes. He's in his undergarments. He's fasting. He's lying on the floor. The servants don't know what to do with him. When the child eventually dies, they're like, should we tell him? Should we not tell him? If this is what it's like when the child is still alive, what the heck is he going to do when, the, when you tell him the child's dead? He might kill us. Confusion. David sees them talking. He knows the child had died. He says, is, that, is the child dead? They say, yes. At that point, David gets up, goes, gets dressed, washed, gets dressed. They ask him, when the child is alive, you're crying in a mess. Now that the child's dead, now you're okay. Well, what's the situation? He says to them, where the child is, I can go. But he cannot come back to me. I will see him again one day. But for now, I need to take responsibility of my life. David's response is entirely different. You see psalm after psalm after psalm of David walking with the Lord. David having an intimate relationship with his father. His father walking him through some of the most challenging things. Get this. Even the consequences, the judgment that Nathan pronounced over him. The consequences of his own decisions. God even walks him through that. One of those was that out of your own house, somebody will rebel against you and dethrone you. His own son 
tries to overthrow his throne, chases him out of his palace, takes up residence. David writes out of that place plenty of psalms, petitioning the Lord to save him. You know what? God did. (laughs) He did. David was restored as king over Israel. And the son, unfortunately, that he lost, um, was, uh, was, was no longer king because he, he died actually in battle. He died um, with an accident on a tree in his hair. He hung himself. But David continues to write one of the most amazing, some of the most amazing literature about his relationship with the Lord. And to how many of us have that not been encouragement and, and joy to see that, hey, here's a man of God who walked with God, who faced trials after trials after trials. His own stupidity caused him to walk through certain, some dif- to, through certain difficulties, and yet God never left his side. Such encouragement for us. But David's response determined the outcome of his life, and the same for me and you. The way you respond today to this message is going to determine the direction the, the, that this year takes. Before I go on to the third one, I want to talk about three things that we need, four things we need to remember so that we don't walk like Saul before the Lord. We can walk like David with God. The first thing David knew was that God desires obedience over sacrifice. For God, it's more about your relationship with Him and your trust in Him and you walking intimately with Him than what you do for Him. Look, I know that that is a strange message especially in this very religious environment where works are such a high value. But this is the scriptures that we live by. To obey is better than to do religious acts for God. Living your life the way He wants it to be lived. Not having it my way, doing it my way. Always having an, a, a, an alternative way to, to, to obeying scripture. No, just saying, Lord... If your word says it, it settles it. I'm doing it. I'm not going to try and bend it around so it fits into my culture. I'm going to make my culture change so it fits into your word. You see, David had this down um, so deep, it always kept popping up in his his writings. In Psalm 69, the third last, 69, 70, 71, the fourth last um, psalm that David wrote, um, verse 30 says, I will praise God's name in song, and glorify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox. More than a bull with its horns and hooves. Now don't, forget, don't, don't, don't mistake the, the, the cultural dynamics here of that time. What that means for us, it pleases God more that you walk with him and trust him and, and walk in a relationship with him and honor him with your life than you performing religious acts. The second thing we need to remember so we can live like David is that obedience shows us how much we love God. Not our sacrifice. Now sure, obedience will lead to certain sacrifices, but it's actually those sacrifices that you're not willing to make right now. But the ones you think are the sacrifices that you want to bring to the Lord, they do not show until you have obeyed. 
what your love for God is like. You see, love is all about who's first. If you love your wife, she will be first. You will serve her. You will prioritize her needs over yours. And men, that means emotional needs. Most of the time when it comes to women. Don't ask me why. Take that up with God. He designed it like that. But it's true. We think physical needs. So we think like, I'm bringing home the bacon. Well, you know what? The conversation over the bacon meant more to her than the actual bacon. Because that's how God designed them. And you loving her means that you will actually acknowledge that. And try to live like that. John, 1 John 5.3 says, In fact, this is love for God. To keep His commandments. And it just gives us assurance. Look, His commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. In fact, when you obey His commandments, it brings joy and peace and life into your life. So, what's your response going to be to God's word this year? Are you going to continue to just caveat your way or you'll explain your way into and through it and just, and just keep the, the facade going so that you just look like you're okay before everybody? Or is it time that we do some deep, deep, deep repentance responses? Say, Lord, I haven't been living according to your word. I've been doing it my way. Third, delayed obedience is still disobedience. This one is hard, even for me. Not even for me, also for me. Because I'm, I'm prone to say, all right, Lord, I will, but I first need to, you know, and then fill in the blank what you want to fill in there. I need to <laughs> discipline myself in this one very often. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. Listen to what Psalm 119 verse 60 says. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. I pray that that will be my life this year. I pray that that will be your life this year. That we will be, like God says in His Word, I am eager to perform my Word. Let us also say, Lord, I want to live in your image. I'm going to be eager to do your Word as well. The fourth thing is, you know, it's kind of the obvious. I've said it already, but disobedience has consequences, even under grace. Nathan said to David, your sin is taken away from you. You will not die. Yet, David lived through the consequences of his decisions. The same for us. We, our sin is taken away and we will not be eternally separated from God in hell because of our sin. Yet, your, your, your decisions will have consequences. And you're going to have to keep trusting God as you walk through them. Because they can confuse you. To think that maybe God is doing something. No, no, no. It's just you walking through your consequences. The only way through it is to actually do what you were supposed to do in the beginning. It's be faithful to Jesus. That's the only way through it. But the more bad decisions we make, the more we just stack up consequences for ourselves in the future. It's time to start responding with some good decisions. Some decisions that says, Lord, your way, not my way. Your word says it, that settles it. That's my pattern. That's my, that's my guide. I'm going to do it that way. But I want to say this. If disobedience has consequences, 
Obedience has results. Your and my walk with God in obedience produces God's results for our lives. When you think and stand before the decision whether you're going to obey Jesus or not or delay or whatever, think about the, the results you can produce through your obedience. And let that draw you to obey God quicker, more accurately than you've ever done before this year. Thank you, I am. So the last instance for us today is found in Exodus 8. The prophet is Moses and the king or ruler is Pharaoh. His name is Ramses, 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 something like that. <laughs> so how many of you have not heard the account of the ten plagues that God struck Egypt and Pharaoh with as he was trying to get the Israelites released from slavery? So we, we grew up in a pretty religious environment. So we, most of us know about the ten plagues. Fun fact, did you guys know that each and every one of those plagues were designed as a, as a challenge to the Egyptian gods. If you go listen to when God calls Moses, he says, I'm going to bring judgment on Egypt. But he also says, I am going to bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. Before Moses even went. Now if you go and uh, study Egyptian um, gods, each and every one of those plagues were basically God proving that he was stronger than the gods that the Egyptians were worshipping. It's a fascinating study. But the second plague God sends was the frogs, right? And by the way, the magicians of, the, of Egypt, they tried to replicate the, the, you know, the, the signs that Moses was showing. And uh, so uh, when you know, the first plague came, they also made blood, you know, water, water become blood. And by the way, the Nile, people worshipped the Nile. The Nile was considered to be, um, be a god and have gods that presided over the Nile. But God turning the Nile and all the water in Egypt into blood was literally him saying that your life blood um, that provides you with life, I can take that from you. And everything that that river would produce in food, in um, agricultural, uh, uh, the Nile would flood and they would bring topsoil basically on all the lands. And as the water would recede, fertile ground would be av available for them to plant the next season's crops. All of that was taken from them. God was saying, who's your daddy now? The second one was, by the way, also, that was a judgment because as Israel was increasing in number, the Egyptians would kill Israeli boys and throw them in the Nile. The second one was frogs. The Egyptians worshipped frogs. One of their goddesses had the woman, body of a woman and the head of a frog. Don't ask me why. But God was, and so, 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 so they couldn't touch frogs. You couldn't kill a frog. All right, good luck uh, here in South Louisiana. But over there, frogs were sacred animals. The Bible says the frogs were so many that came out that there was no place to even step without stepping on a frog. Now imagine you worshipping frogs and end up killing a frog just because you try to move. 
It says, they said it was in their kitchens, it was in their toilets, it was in their cabinets, it was everywhere, in their beds, in their bedrooms. There weren't a place where there weren't frogs. So the magicians come, and this was the last one they actually were able to replicate. Um, they also made, made frogs come out of the Nile. I'm thinking, that is just stupid. Don't make more. Take the ones that are there away, right? If you really had to show your power. <laughs> but anyway, so Pharaoh is so blind, he can't realize that these guys are actually you know, pulling wool over his eyes and, uh, and somehow looking, making it look like they're producing more. But they couldn't, really. So Pharaoh is like again saying to Moses, Moses, come, come and take these frogs away. Tell, pray to your God to take the frogs from me and my people, and then I will let your people go and sacrifice to the Lord in the desert. So Moses said something to Pharaoh. And this is something that each and every one of us has to just think through properly today. He says, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that your houses may be rid of the frogs. Except for those that are in the Nile. Moses is saying to Pharaoh, you get to decide when you want to be done with this issue in your life. You get to decide when you want to be rid of this habit in your life. You get to decide when you're going to deal with this sin in your life. You get to decide how long you want to still you know, shack up with Aquaman. And guess what Pharaoh says? It's up on the screen. Tomorrow. He says, tomorrow. I'm thinking, like now. <laughs> like why smooch up to a frog for another night on my pillow? Why waiting one more day before I deal with this issue in my life? <laughs> Yet how many times don't we choose to spend another night with the frogs? Let it not be like that with us this year. We're going to respond to the word of the Lord this year. God is going to make very many interesting invitations to each and every one of you to do Certain things, different things. I'm imploring you to respond. To respond. You know, the kingdom of God, the Bible says, advances through, through violent men who take it by force. And it talks about an intentionality. It talks about a sold-outness. It talks about soldiers running onto a battlefield with the absolute assurance that we're taking this ground. What ground do you need to be taking in your life this year? God wants to ready us to respond to Him and to His Word. And it doesn't matter where you are in your life, what you've gone through, what you've done, all of those things. Nathan the prophet would simply say, Your sin has been taken away. You will not die. Now respond to the Lord so that He may guide you through the mess that you've made so that he may help you out of the bind that you find yourself in so that he may help you to start obey you know God often tells us hey why don't you go pray for that person and then here's what we say I'll do it tomorrow Lord 
I don't know them well enough yet to talk about Jesus. Let's not live in tomorrow. Because God has given us today. He has not given us tomorrow yet. But He has given us today. Let's all stand and and join me in prayer. Sometimes we think we can't do things like can't forgive that person because I'm still dealing with the hurt that they caused me. I can't shake this habit because I don't know how I will do it or I don't know what it will mean. What will the people say? I can't obey when God tells me to do something because that's, I feel shameful when I do that. I can't reconcile with that family member. Let me first do this or do that or I don't want to forgive that place because I'm so mad at them. I'll do it tomorrow. The Bible says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts against Him. Do not harden your heart against Him anymore. Respond. Say yes to Him. Let's close our eyes, everybody. I want us to pray. If you have never responded to Jesus, to accept Him as your Lord and Savior, why don't you put up your hand right now and say, Lord, This is my first time, but I'm doing this now. Because I have today, I have it here. I'm going to start believing in you. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner that can't save myself. And that you have the solution. You died for me. I believe that. If you want to acknowledge that today for the very first time, you've never done this before, put up your hand right now. I see that hand. Thank you. Anybody else? to make that decision here today. Family, let's pray this prayer together. If you put your hand up, I want you to pray this prayer out loud with all of us to make this declaration and to make this statement that you commit to believing in Jesus today. Can we pray? Say this with me. Father God, I acknowledge that I have sinned. And my religious works can't save me. But Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. And that by your grace, I am saved. Thank you, Father. And from today on, I can become your child. In Jesus' name, amen.